Hello, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for this set of 2022 previews. Don't know where that Dexter's Laboratory voice came from. But anyways, we got a ton of really interesting teams on the 3A level for you today. And uh, teams that I got to see, or at least a handful of them, got to see in person last year. And I look forward to seeing them again this year, as they do have some intriguing talent coming back. But be sure to also check out our other season previews. Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, is covering everything in Southern Colorado. And Mason Austin is covering things in the Denver metro area for the most part. This is going to be our rules. And, you know, here in Northern Colorado, there's a lot of interesting teams who went on to win a handful of championships this past year and um, also make playoffs. So we're going to start with a playoff team from last year, talking about Frederick High School, the squad that went 9-2 and two last year and ran rampant. You know, just to go over their scores real quick, they started off pretty easily 5-0 and against a handful of uh, teams that struggled, to say, uh, this past year before their first loss coming to a solid Holy Family squad that we'll talk about later in an overtime loss. And then following that, you know, they bounced back with, you know, four more wins, or I should say three more wins to close the regular season, including a massive win over Meade, 45-19. to This definitely put them on my radar and... I believe was good enough for a league title. Uh, not 100% on that, but, you know, that was enough to propel them to a decent seed where they drew Pueblo County in the first round, took care of business against them 42-7 to before losing to the eventual state champs in Fort Morgan 21-14. to Now, I think that this is a successful season for Frederick, and, you know, they did so through... This uh, wing T threat, this triple headed threat, I should say, led by Parker Ayers, who was a phenom at the tailback position, collecting 26 touchdowns. It was one of the highest scoring running backs in the state and one of the highest scoring backfields, I should say, of any squad. As he also collected 1,315 yards and averaged 9.1 yards per carry on nearly 150 carries. Um, you know, he was first team All State. And uh, he will graduate or will have graduated this past spring. So that is some serious production that they are going to try and replace. Additionally, they also graduated their starting quarterback, Bryce Conover, whose efficiency, you know, I believe at one point during the season, he had nine touchdowns to no interceptions. So, you know, being able to make the right decision, being able to just take what the defense gives you, that is an overrated or overlooked aspect of quarterbacks, and that is something that Bryce was very capable of. And so they're going to have to try and find a quarterback who is okay with taking some dump-offs, throwing it to the tight ends and the crossing routes, and maybe not taking as many big shots or risky throws downfield to end up victorious. Additionally, you know, they... Um, their lineman, Trevin McLean, who's a All-State second team, I want to say, is graduating. Uh, Alex Austin was a tight end, and he will not be graduating following a season that saw him tied for the team lead in receiving scores and second in yards. And then, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, Jonathan Pankoff and Mikey Espindola, you know, they both led team in tackles and they graduated this past spring 
And that doesn't even account for second team All-State defensive lineman Chris Baum, who was fourth in total tackles. So, you know, you're losing a ton of tackles on the defensive side of the ball. You're losing your quarterback. You're losing some depth at line. And you're losing your best player from last year. And one of our 3A Offensive Playmaker of the Year slash Most Valuable Playmaker candidates in Parker Ayers. You're losing a lot of snaps if you're Frederick. However, I don't think this is the time to panic. I still think that they have a solid chance to make the playoffs. And there are a couple reasons why. And it starts with the number two running back, Cruz Zamudio, who did make All-State honorable mention as the second guy in this backfield. You know, he had 121 carries for 1,016 yards and 10 scores. So he did that while Parker Ayers still collected all those carries, all those yards. This is one of the, I guess, benefits, so to speak, of a wing tee is that lots of people get handoffs. And so Cruz Zamudio, as a junior, proved that he is worth the touches. He's worth the carries. And the same could be said for the third back, River Lakey, who averaged over 10 yards per carry and route to a 700-yard season and six touchdowns. So, you know, they have two guys who can still run the football very effectively, two guys who can still run the football very well. They will also have an offensive lineman coming back in them in Hunter Kenny, who can hopefully provide some lanes for both of these backs. But regardless of where the line is, I don't see either of these backs taking a huge step backwards, except for maybe Lakey, as far as his average 10 yards is pretty high. But I mean, for a backfield that overall, you know, averaged 9.1 yards per carry as a squad last year and ran for nearly 4,000 yards, I don't see that fortune necessarily changing anytime soon. So, you know, I see both these guys probably with double-digit touchdowns maybe two 1,000 yard rushers that may be a little ambitious but nonetheless I still think that a very effective running attack is going to propel this Frederick team to a handful of wins and then you also have a leading receiver in LaFay Purcell who you know is probably going to be an excellent security blanket in rollouts in flat routes and just providing, you know, a source of consistency for whoever does end up under center. I mean, whoever's under center, you're going to be running running back screens and play action boots, right? So that's their identity. They're going to roll with it. It's not a hard system to learn as a quarterback. So there's that. Additionally, they also have, you know, as a sophomore, uh, Kamarly Davey led the team in tackles for loss and sacks. And, you know, considering that he was only a sophomore, I could see him putting on some serious weight, gaining some serious mass muscle-wise in this offseason, and then being a real force of nature slash potential All-State player for this Frederick team. And then last but not least, in the secondary, you have Cooper Anderson. He led this team in interceptions as a junior last year, and so will be returning to this defense to, you know, help promote that northern football brand of playing really tough and you know forcing turnovers at opportune times so looking ahead at their schedule or what they have listed right now they do open up with a very interesting game against holy family high school 
to start the season. This is at home. This was their only regular season loss last year. Holy Family is an intriguing team that I'm going to talk about here in a bit. But, you know, say that they say they start off 0-1 there. I don't think that's a massive deal because then they have Monarch, Scott's Bluff from Nebraska, Silver Creek. I think that they go 3-1 and in that stretch. Fort Morgan, they're not the same team as they were last year. They lost a lot of talent, honestly. And so I think that Frederick could potentially win that one as well before facing Niwot, Riverdale Ridge, Denver North, Meade, and George Washington. And so I think that going three and two and even hitting a, what is that, three, four, five, six, seven game win streak here is pretty reasonable, all things considered. And so I think that at worst, this team goes seven and three during the regular season. Not too bad, obviously. And, uh, you know, at best, I think that nine and one is in the cards. I don't know if they go undefeated against the combination of Holy Family Mead and George Washington. I think that's a pretty, you know, one of those three games they probably end up dropping similarly to how they dropped, you know, one game last year. But that's no worries for a team that is still primed to make a playoff, you know, spot for the postseason. Now, the worry for me isn't Frederick making the postseason. The worry for Frederick is what will they do in the postseason? Last year, similarly to teams that we've seen in the past run the wing tee, they just didn't have the passing game or the versatility on offense to, to pull out that one. And... You know, that's that's tough, but that's the reality of football these days. You have to have a passing game. You have to have a reliable quarterback. And that just fell through on them at the absolute worst time. Otherwise, they probably could have been a state contender if they had somebody or a scheme that could actively throw the ball a little bit more or better. So, but I mean, you already know how we feel about the wing T here at Playmakers Corner, but it is excellent for regular season success. And just obliterating your opponents en route to a postseason spot. And then I guess, you know, once you get to the postseason, allegedly anything could happen. So there's that. And there is your Frederick 2022 football preview. On the flip side and transitioning note, though, we will be talking about their very first opponent in Holy Family High School. You know, after alternating wins and losses through the first four games of the season, you know, with a win against Pueblo South, lost to Roosevelt, win against Green Mountain, lost to Resurrection Christian. They finally found some success in the middle of the season. I mean, this included getting the benefit of a forfeit, but nonetheless, it was a three-game win streak, including that overtime win against Frederick in just their second league game. This was shortly before losing to Meade, 35-32. to And then they alternate wins and losses here as well. You know, that win against Frederick, lost to Meade, Win against Skyview, lost to eventual state champs Fort Morgan. Win against Pueblo South in the playoffs, lose to Roosevelt in the playoffs. So their season started the exact same way as it ended with wins against Pueblo South and losses against Roosevelt, which I find to be very interesting. But I think that in these wins, whether you look at the box score or whether you look at the film, this is a way improved team from what you saw at the beginning of the season. You know, you could look at the score margins first off, Pueblo South 34 to 27 at the beginning of the season. And that was without Jace Bella for that Pueblo South squad, who's arguably their best player, was one of their best players last year. And then, you know, they win 34 to 18 against Pueblo South in the playoffs with Jace Bella. 
then you have the loss against Roosevelt on the 3rd of September, 49-7. But this playoff loss looked a lot different. 51-33, they were able to move the ball pretty well. They were able to score in droves. And, you know, there's a handful of reasons for that. But before I get into, you know, the intriguing option under center, I am going to talk about some seniors who they did lose. And, you know, I think that seven of the top 11 tacklers graduating definitely hurts, including the top four leading tacklers in Brady Samaras, Alex Austin, Jared Delgado, and Dominique Neely. You know, this hurts to lose that many snaps on defense, not to mention the fact that Alex Austin was an absolute force of nature for this Holy Family squad, leading the team in tackles for loss with 16 and leading the team in sacks with 11. He was a game wrecker. He's somebody that Mason broke down's film and, you know, he should be playing ball on the next level. I forgot if for where he's going somewhere, but he is a dog who, you know, his tenacity on the line slash being able to get through that offensive line will be sorely missed. And, you know, they are going to have to find someone who can replace that. Additionally, you know, they lose uh, second team All-State lineman uh, John Holquist, Holquest, I should say. And, you know, losing depth up front, whether it's defensive line or offensive line, always hurts. Uh, the trenches is a hard place to replace players especially of all state caliber and it doesn't matter if it's first second or honorable mention it is still an all state player that you have to replace but i think that one of the biggest stories here as far as offense and then also defensive leading talent leaving you know is dom Missoula and jacob lover both of these guys were leaders on the team offensively defensively you have jacob lover who was the lead running back here in this backfield, rushing for over a thousand yards, collecting 15 rushing touchdowns. You know, he could, on defense, he could hit, he could cover. He was just a very good football player for this Holy Family squad. And he's a guy who will be continuing to play football on the next level at CSU Pueblo. And while not also at CSU Pueblo, Don Mazula was one of our highest rated tight ends in the state last year in the senior class he was a tight end who could block in the run game he could pick up pass block or pick up blitzes and stuff he ran a variety of routes he ran from the tight end spot he ran split out he was the leading receiver for this team and he was just such a dynamic playmaker as somebody who you know at the tight end position and at a solid size could catch and run with the football you know it's really hard to find versatile tight ends like him you know, on the high school level, but really he was just an excellent combination of everything you want in a tight end. Had nearly 50 receptions, 860 yards, and nine scores. I mean, he was an absolute beast and was also solid on the defensive side of the ball. He's one of those, you know, top 11 tacklers who's graduating. So you're losing lots of offensive slash defensive talent on this squad. You're losing some of their best players from this year. And, you know, on top of Missoula, or including Missoula, I should say, they lose six of their seven receivers who caught a touchdown and over 100 yards. Yikes. They are going to be very green at the receiver position, and that may be a little unlucky and lead to potentially some losses this year. 
but why am I not hitting the red alert panic button? I'll tell you why. It has to do with under center, the class of 24 quarterback, Rylan Cooney, who returns after showing plenty of promise under center this past season, rightfully earning his spot and holding it with surprising efficiency. You know, on the season, he threw 19 scores to eight interceptions. He was able to rip off some long passes. He made a lot of wise decisions, wasn't too risky. He was the only quarterback with a above 50% completion percentage in a competition that also included a senior at one point. So, you know, he was able to shake off mistakes and keep moving forward. I think that he was a huge reason why in this Roosevelt game, they were able to score in the way that they did, you know, and put up over 30 points against a really good defense. So, you know, I think that a step forward is in the cards for Cooney. Uh, he just has to find out who he's targeting moving forward with all of those graduating receivers. Luckily for him, he does get the benefit of Chase McNaughton returning, who, you know, not only collected 266 yards through the air, but, you know, on the ground could also potentially help patch the loss of Jacob Waver, seeing as how he ran for 428 yards and three touchdowns. So, you know, between Rylan and Jacob, those are the big returners on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, you had another sophomore stud last year in Anderson Osborne, who, you know, showed flashes with two sacks in five games and another four tackles for loss listed in the five games that he played. So, you know, if you project that over the course of a regular season, you're looking at a four sack, eight tackle for loss season out of a sophomore player as he continues to get bigger, stronger. It looks like he already has some technique things down. He has a little bit of a bag to say. And, you know, with that production, he should be able to step into an Alex Austin-ish kind of role and lead this team in tackles for loss and sacks and create opportunities for his teammates to do much of the same. That looks like his role heading forward. And then as far as tacklers go, you know, Jace Gunderson was the only non-senior in the top five of tackles, and he will have to ramp up that production if he is to make up for what they lost this past season. Now, looking at window of wins here, uh, Holy Family, they were much improved by the end of the season, as I said, but I think that a noticeable gap was still pretty present between them and the quote-unquote heavyweights of 3A football, and I think that this season could be a little bit more the same until they develop a receiving core for Rylan Cooney here. I think that, you know, like I said, this season they open up against Frederick at the end of August. That's a very intriguing game, maybe one that we'll make it to. And this is before they head to Broomfield, play Mountain View, play Roosevelt again, but this time as a non-league game. And then in their league, they have Lutheran. They have a game against Northfield, which I think they should win. And then Lincoln and Kennedy in their league as well. So, you know, in these eight games that they currently have scheduled, I pretty easily see five and three uh, with potential losses to Roosevelt here, maybe a Lutheran and maybe a Broomfield. But uh, I could, on the high end, see them going seven and one. If they manage to only lose to Roosevelt, I mean, Lutheran's a team that's also graduating a ton of talent from last year. Frederick is a team that they could probably beat. And you're looking at 7-1, and one, and I think that's a reasonable amount of wins to assume. Uh, over the course of a whole season, you know, if they do end up scheduling 10 games, I think that 7 wins is 
you know, a very solid number of wins for this squad, depending on, you know, where these other games come from. But I think a seven and two or seven and three season is a very easy prediction for me, looking at this Holy Family squad, looking at the talent that they're bringing back under center, looking at, you know, some of the defensive talent and just the young core that this team has hashed out already. I think that they do a great job of balancing young players and, you know, upperclassmen. And that will show as they get another year of a successful season and one that sees them reach the postseason. We continue the trend of talking about high performance teams from this past season as we talk about the Mead Mavericks. Shout out to Coach Scott Martinson over there. He's our guy. He coached with me uh, back at Greeley West. And, uh, you know, we did get one of the only wins of the program that year. So, uh, you know, shout out to my guy over there who's holding it down, helping this defense out, and helped this Mead team reach a state championship or at least an opportunity to play in the state game, I should say. And, you know, this Mead team was really hard to get a read on throughout this season. Mead was hard to read. Um, you know, to start the season, they were as dominant as we thought they were going to be. You know, Coach V actually chose them to win state last year, and I thought that that was a very respectable pick and one that I could see happening. And through four games, you know, it was pretty obvious that it could have with a 45-0 win, 50-7 win, 42-0 win, and a 42-8 win. You know, all of these things were electrifying. Simon was like, hey, it's time for me to go watch this Roosevelt and Mead game. He went to that game on October 8th. And, you know, this was a showdown between two undefeated teams who were both, you know, Roosevelt being my pick for state and Mead being Simon's pick for state. And, you know, the game started off close, very rugged, back and forth before Roosevelt ran away in this game to my surprise and Simon's surprise for sure. And, you know, they shook this off, got another three wins, you know, big win against Skyview, close win against Holy Family. I think that that is more of a tale of things to come. And then a big win against Thompson Valley before an uncharacteristic loss to Frederick to end the season. I'm not sure if they had already won league at that point or what the story was, but they lost to them 45 to 19. And so, you know, they hiccuped pretty hard in the regular season with some big losses to some strong teams. And that stirred my, that shook my confidence just a little bit in this team heading into the postseason. Were they legit? I could not tell. But they didn't, they weren't listening to the narratives. They were only looking within themselves. And that is exactly what they needed to do to win back-to-back -back playoff games against Northridge and Durango by a single point apiece, beating a Northridge team that earlier this season they had blown out of the water. They beat them 21-20 to this time, and then went all the way down to Durango to face the defending 3A state champs, of course, and beat them by a single point as well. Incredible wins, showed tons of grit, came back to play Roosevelt, in an interesting back and forth game. And they ended up winning this game against Roosevelt, avenging their loss from earlier this season, 38 to 21, and then went on to face Roosevelt's biggest rival, Fort Morgan in state. And so unfortunately, you know, they do fall just a little short in this game, but they were very competitive, 21 to 17. Simon told me it was a fantastic game that could have gone either way. And, you know, kudos to this team for their 3A state runner-up season 
and you know all the players who did help them get there including a high list of seniors here you know on the defense they are losing their leading tackler jeremiah stritsky and on the defensive line they're losing tommy tatham who had six tackles for loss not to mention two studs in corby teku and evan morris who offensively did even more but on defense contributed 64 tackles for loss five and a half sacks and 12 tackles for loss not to mention on the offensive side of the ball they were a part of this mead grind your bones rushing attack which saw evan morris run for over a thousand yards you know, Corey, Corby Teku being a utility slash power back who had another 620 yards on the ground, not to mention was this team's leading receiver with 587 receiving yards. And, you know, between those two and quarterback Gavin Garretson, they are seeing 26 touchdowns walk across the stage this past spring. That's tough for any squad, especially one that's losing a quarterback like Gavin Garrettson. Gavin Garrettson was a huge aspect of Simon choosing Mead to win state, and I don't blame him. I mean, he threw another 21 touchdowns this year to only eight picks on 59% completion percentage and, you know, another 550 yards on the ground. So a ton of yards, a ton of scoring between this three-headed monster and, you know, like I said, some of these guys also contributed on the defensive side of the ball. And not only are they losing all of these rushing yards, all of this skill on the offensive side of the ball, they're also losing parts of their offensive line in Dalton Brown, who is at tackle this past year, 290 pounds. That's a lot of mass to be moving across the stage and losing and trying to replace. And then All-State selection, Dante Gavito also graduated. So losing strength up front, losing big time playmakers. This is going to be a different season for me. You know, I think that this is one where we still see the defense playing at a high level, but the offense maybe not as high of a level as we just saw this past year. You know, uh, they do return on the offensive side of the ball, Sean Medlock, whose, you know, usage will increase because he was the third fiddle to some of those other guys. But... <clears throat> He was second in the team on receptions, yards, and receiving touchdowns. He got another seven touchdowns on the ground. And he had the highest yards per carry of any ball carrier who had over 50 touches last year. So he had a fairly significant amount of volume. He has a good amount of speed to him that could see him rip off some really large runs in this Mead backfield. He does also get the benefit of a lineman returning in Zach Dabella, I believe that he was an All-State Honorable Mention, I want to say. <clears throat> and this defense is what I'm looking to still keep this Mead team afloat here. They are getting their second and third leading tacklers back in Ayers and Brewington, who accounted for basically 150 tackles for this defense. So they were able to fly all over the place. And I think that, you know, while Jeremiah Stritz Stritsky is going to be graduating, I feel like his production will be replaceable by one of these two or both of these guys and then in the secondary they're also returning brendan castanon who recorded three interceptions this past year and will be returning to the fold so they're getting some experience in that front seven back they're getting some experience in that back four back and you know i think that the defense is good enough to win a solid handful of games this year 
know, looking at their schedule, it's very interesting. They open up against Windsor. This is a very solid four. Well, let's see, did they actually return to 3A? No, Windsor is a 4A team. So that'll be an interesting test to start the season. Immediately following that, they got Lutheran, Severance, and Durango. This is a really tough four game stretch to start the season. And one that I think you'd be very happy with going two and two but you've got to win some games in this stretch. Then they have a little bit of a cool down in the second half of the season. They got Green Mountain. I think that that's a very winnable game. George Washington <clears throat> will be an interesting opponent since they do have Honeycutt, who's one of the most electrifying athletes in the entire state. So that's always a wild card game. But then in their league, Denver North and Niwot, these are winnable games. Frederick and Riverdale Ridge. Frederick will be interesting. I don't think it'll go 45 to 19 this year, but they do have to show me something before I definitively pick them over Frederick. I think that they can go three and two in league. I think that anything less than that is unacceptable, but five and zero could be in the cards. So you already see a range in their league play. And, you know, they have some toss-up games here. I think that Durango's a toss-up game. I think that Lutheran's a potential toss-up game. I don't know how Severance is going to look in 3A, but Coach V was telling me that they're returning a handful of their front seven. So, you know, you have a very intriguing schedule here. I think if this squad goes six and four, that's very doable, but could see a swing one more or one less. So I got a window of wins of five to seven for me based on a stellar defense that will look to continue to wreak havoc on opposing offenses and we'll look to probably score some touchdowns this year and hopefully help that offense out and route to another postseason appearance as for the last two teams from this league from last year they both struggled quite a bit and <clears throat> didn't accurately record statistics super well so i'm going to do my best to recap it you know skyview out of thornton look last year's recap not pretty uh, I'm not going to go into details over this schedule out of respect, but it was a tough year. It was a tough year that saw uh, opponents outscore them 432 to 44, right? So not a whole lot going for them. They don't have all their stats updated, but it looks like their quarterback from last year graduated. And, you know, it looks like through a range of two to four games that uh, Skyfew graduates their top four tacklers in Brian Chárez, Oscar Vera, Johnny Fuller, and their quarterback who also played on the defensive side of the ball. Um, in the backfield, they are returning Omar Loza. He was a sophomore and through three games last year, he was leading the backfield at around five yards per carry. And then there is also junior back Gonzalez who didn't garner as many carries, but reflected similar consistency in yards per carry. And then at least through three or four games, the highest average tackles per game in Ruben Peraza Talamantes returns. He was also only a sophomore. So a decent amount of contributors in the class of 2024 for the Skyview Wolverines. And, you know, an easier schedule as well. You know, last year, Conifer is a solid program. Summit's a solid program. I don't know about Denver North or Niwot, but then Frederick, Meade, Northridge, Holy Family, and then closing the season against Thompson Valley, who was very hot last year at this time that's always tough versus this year they faced some teams that also struggled last year you know they're facing a sierra this was a one-win team from last year they're facing littleton that was a one-win team from last year 
Wheat Ridge. Wheat Ridge is 4A, and I think it's a little bit more reasonable that they didn't win a game last year. But nonetheless, you know, you're facing teams whose combined win total isn't as crazy as last year. I'm saying that they took a play from the Doherty playbook of scheduling, which if you haven't yet, make sure to go listen to that episode with Doherty that Coach V put together. But <clears throat> this year, they have chances to win games, but I don't think that they win all of them against these struggling teams. Uh, I think that they'd be fortunate to win one of the three against Sierra, Littleton, and Wheat Ridge, I guess. But uh, other than that, <clears throat> there's not a whole lot here that screams out to me, you know, like winning season or anything like that. So, you know, for this Skyview team, I'd say a window of wins of zero to two is more than likely and just a little unfortunate, but, uh, you know, that's, that's just the way it goes. Hopefully they have some new changes, somebody who uploads stats and whatnot, or somebody that can close the gap on some of these games. I mean, their closest game last year was 55 to 22. So, you know, something needs to give there. This is a program that needs change. I believe that Thornton has the talent pool to do so, but you have, you know, athletes going to other schools. As for the last team from this division from last year, who also moved to the 3A League 7, is Thompson Valley. Now, Last year, they had an incredible debut by a freshman running back and clawed their way to a 4-6 record with competitive wins over Berthid and Mountain View, and then followed these up with, not immediately, but then one huge against Niwot and Skyview. <clears throat> they were able to hang tough with the likes of Northridge and Holy Family last year as well, but did not keep within one score of some big heavyweights like Mead. You know, so... Last year, very, uh, I'd say, you know, a very back and forth year. They played a 4A team in Loveland to start the year. Then they played a 2A team in Resurrection Christian and lost both of those big. This obviously set off some sirens, but then they find some talent and close these gaps. You know, close win against Berth at 16-13. Close loss to Northridge, 17-12. Close win against Mountain View, 14-7. Lost to Holy Family, 20-7. Not too bad. And then they hit their stride here. Destroy Niwot, 34 zil before, like I said, 28-14 uh, loss against Frederick, 42-6 loss against Meade. That was a tough one. And then closing their season with a 50-burger on Skyview. So, you know, what helped them do this is kind of interesting because, you know, in this section, as opposed to a graduating senior, I have departing talent. Because Elijah Melendez was one of the most electrifying backs in football last year. As only a freshman, he was picking up, I want to say, at least six yards per carry. He was running super aggressively and powerful and was just a force of nature for this Thompson Valley squad. But unfortunately, he has moved to Osceola or Osceola, Florida. And, you know, he's going to be one of those running backs touted as a Florida talent heading to the next level. He will eventually play college football. I have no doubt in that. And it's a crushing loss of a back who probably could have been the best back in school history here in Thompson Valley. And um, <clears throat> if they replace this, it's essentially like winning the lottery. I don't really think that you just replace a running back like Elijah here, but they are going to try and do, you know, or try and minimize some of the loss here 
as they do return a very good lineman in Tucker McGinnis, who at 280 pounds is trusted to pull and create lanes for backs. He collected a ton of back pancakes. I watched his film. He's somebody who I think I have a radar on for my all-state list. He's a, a you know, for 280 pounds and not being super duper tall, he moves very, very well. I think that he shows solid footwork. His base can get a little wide, but regardless, he shows solid enough footwork to get across the field. He's fairly fast and somebody who will help create opportunities for whoever is in the backfield this year. And so having a big body like that come back, a very strong ox-like, you know, lineman is critical to finding some success this year. You also have Devin McNear, who returns to the fold following some snaps at outside linebacker and fullback. Maybe he's somebody who gets some carries this last year with his time at fullback. Who knows? And then, you know, Riley Suarez is returning under center, or should I say at a shotgun. He's a pretty athletic guy who was trusted to run the rock a handful of times last year. He can also kind of push it downfield, but arm strength is something that he could definitely use some work on. And I'm curious to see on how he can play with a little bit more complex of route combinations and or passing game. So, you know, having gone four and six last year, I see kind of this middle of the road performance again this year. You know, they currently have Summit, Berthoud, Loveland, Riverdale Ridge, Niwot, Severance, Mountain View, Northridge, Roosevelt, and Resurrection Christian scheduled. I think that wins again against uh, Berthoud and Niwot and Mountain View aren't, you know, they're not Hail Marys. I think that a win against Riverdale Ridge is very possible. So this is a team that could go four and six, depending on this game against Summit, could be a five win team. So, you know, window of wins at four and five. I see them kind of just in the same place as last year, which I think is saying something in Mark's a successful season, seeing the talent that they are losing um, in Elijah Melendez. I think that if you do have Melendez, you might be able to swing one or two of these games and end up in the postseason. But that is a marvel what if. We are Playmakers Corner analyzing what is in the now. And so, you know, for these Eagles team, I do see that four to five win window. And following this short break, I will be back to discuss last year's 3A state champs. Howdy, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. We got 2022 football previews, baby. And, uh... To start off this segment and the back end of this episode, I am going to be talking about the defending state champion Fort Morgan Mustangs. I don't know what else I need to say for, you know, recaps of teams that won it all because in the immortal words of Stan Lee, enough said. Uh, Fort Morgan persevered and survived a grueling set of playoff games where their wits and grits were tested like none other, but, uh, you know, as a true extension of the town of Fort Morgan, they hung tough and delivered a championship through a handful of iconic and clutch plays. You know, they were on my radar as a contender this year at the huge, you know, appraisal of Briggs Wheatley and Frank Ortega. And that's exactly how this team operated, you know, going all but one game undefeated in the regular season. <clears throat> 
and you know winning pretty convincingly and winning some close games as well so that roosevelt game that they lost i went to that game and it was 14 to 7 and everyone in the stands on the field was pretty sure that these two teams would see each other again and it was probably going to be in the state championship that did not happen however you know it was still a storybook season here for fort morgan as in the playoffs they win 14 to nothing against green mountain no surprises there but then against frederick they win by a single score in lutheran they have an insane interception by a very athletic playmaker in Frank Ortega to clutch this one. And then between Ortega and Briggs, they pull off this win against Meade 21 to 17 and raise that trophy, right? But, you know, this upcoming season will be very different. One of the most different seasons in a few years as Briggs, I believe he's been starting since a sophomore, if not at least a junior to, you know, wild success and you know they are also losing frank ortega who was phenomenal last year you know i think that this section just hurts in general because their top three interceptors frank ortega had 10 brayden fajardo had six and fernando marquez had four they were also the three leading receivers on this team and accounted for 93 percent of receiving yards and all but one touchdown you know uh marquez and ortega were the second and third leading tackler they are losing 56% of their tackles for loss from last year. Frank Ortega led the team in rushing yards as well with 948 and 12 scores. So with Frank Ortega, you're losing basically 2,000 scrimmage yards and close to 30 touchdowns between catching and running the ball. Not to mention they are losing 3A player of the year, Briggs Wheatley, who is a top five senior quarterback and a reason I was so high on this squad. And he accounted for over 3,000 scrimmage yards and 31 touchdowns. Ouch. That is a lot of skill to be losing in one offseason. That's basically all of their skill players that they're losing in an offseason. And not only are they losing skill players who were incredible athletes on the defensive side of the ball, but they're losing guys who kept the pocket clean and created running lanes. And Jesse Campa and Timmy Paxton, who were both first-team All-State guys. Oh man, it sounds like a lot of doom and gloom. These were generational talents, I believe. I think that Frank Ortega and Briggs Wheatley both could have played Division I football. I'm not sure what their future looks like, but they are very overlooked talent. And, you know, that's coming from a school that just produced an NFL prospect this past year in Trey McBride, right? As the highest tight end taken off the board in the draft to Arizona. So, you know, this team is not unfamiliar with you know, producing talent that can play on the next level. They did exactly that this past year. But who is going to fill some of these shoes? Well, luckily for Fort Morgan, they're not losing their leading tackler, David Keller. He's going to, you know, fly around the field, diversify some playmaking to atone for the loss of turnovers on this squad. But more importantly, will be a leader for a lot of these young guys who maybe didn't see snaps on this championship run, right? David Keller, he's going to be he's going to have to be a very vocal leader for this defense. He already was a leader for this defense. So, you're getting somebody who's familiar with the role, knows how to play his part, and is familiar with this coaching staff and with this scheme, right? So, all of these things are going very well for David Keller and this defense. You also have All-State honorable mention Oscar Ramirez 
who's returning to the defensive line. So you already have two big contributors here. And then, you know, you also have a All-State honorable mention kicker in Brandon Marquez, who will return for his senior year. So you're still going to be able to score some points this year. But I think that, ugh, gosh, I hate to be so doom and gloom about a team that literally just won state in such a convincing and historic and legendary way. But recovering from the flood of talent may be the tallest task in the entire state of defending champs. The only one that's comparable is Centauri. And, you know, they didn't even have as elite of a talent as Briggs Wheatley under center, right? Briggs Wheatley was the Chassa 3A State Player of the Year. He was a top five senior quarterback here at Playmakers Corner and a candidate as one of the best playmakers, right? Incredible efficiency, very smart with the football, good velocity, and trying to replace that at the most important position on the field? We'll see. Not to mention, you know, Ortega graduating, but... I think that this is a team that could maybe still make the playoffs. Now, before I guarantee a spot like that, let's take a look at this schedule. They start off on the road against Roosevelt to start the season, or at least that's their first scheduled game here on 9-9. That is a tall order here. You know, through these six games, they have Roosevelt, Frederick, Lincoln, Kennedy, Northfield, and Lutheran as of right now. Uh, they probably end up facing Holy Family, if I had to guess, and then they maybe end up with a Northridge or a Mead. That is a very difficult schedule, all right? Um, out of their six current games, 500 is easily attainable. I think that they obviously get wins against Lincoln, Kennedy, and Northfield. I just don't think that these Denver schools are like Fort Morgan. I don't know if they win the rematch against Lutheran. That's a bit of a coin toss, so you're looking at 3-3, 4-2. But Roosevelt and Frederick... I don't know if these are games that they necessarily win this year. I'm going to have to see who they have talent-wise to replace what they did have in order to accomplish the things that they did do this past season. Um, there's just a, too many question marks on this Fort Morgan team for me to confidently put my foot down and say that they are a playoff team. I think that their strength of schedule, I think that they're going to be more competitive in these games than some people think. I don't think that Roosevelt's going to blow them out like 60 to nothing or something like that. I think that they're still going to play Roosevelt pretty tough. I think that they're going to have a game scheduled before this game as well, just to kind of shake loose a little bit of the rust, see what they have, adapt to the game plan. They're not, this is going to be super early in the season, so Fort Morgan isn't going to see every single card that Fort Morgan is holding. And, um,. <clears throat> Yeah, I think that that'll make for an interesting game. One that Roosevelt, I think, wins, but an interesting game nonetheless. And so I think that a window of wins of four to six is very easy to state. I think that anything less than four wins would be a bit of a surprise, depending on who else they schedule. And then on the high end, you know, maybe pulling off an upset or two uh, gets them to that six and three or six and four spot. I think that making the postseason is possible i don't think back to back is for these mustangs i say in the most respectful way possible but i mean they do have the coach of the year there and they just do have an incredible culture and history of football at that school
but we will see we will see just like we will see on this next team here and how they bounce back from a tough season in mountain view these mountain lions they had their share of frustrations last season but did find some bright spots in wins and close games against Greeley teams that they are now hoping to turn towards you know more wins both in and out of their new league in the 3a league seven so looking at last year and some seniors that are graduating you're losing uh senior bauman who was the quarterback he matched nearly 700 scrimmage yards and six scores uh, i don't think everything was inputted for this mount lion team by the way so if some of these stats aren't up to date that would be why but Anyways, you know, they also will be losing lead back Isaiah Grado, who, you know, in a season saw him average over five yards per carry in the stats that we had. They also look to be leaving uh, Jake Walker, who, uh, you know, scored four touchdowns through the air this past season. And then it also looks like leading tackler Aiden Cornelius and leading interceptor Logan Nicholson uh, will be graduating. And Logan was also third in receiving. So... You know, they do have Ethan Ranker returning to the team who led the team in average tackles per game. And, you know, that they will also be getting a couple of pseudo contributors as well. So window of wins, you know, I'd say they struggled mightily last season and with a ton of snaps walking out the door and a daunting schedule in an even tougher league, it will be interesting to see if they can muster up a win. Um, I think that they have an interesting matchup against Riverdale Ridge who faced similar teams to Mountain View and fared uh, somewhat okay. So you have that going against them. And uh, then they have a massive set of challenges in Loveland and Holy Family with a Green Mountain game sandwich in between them. Uh, I'm not sure how Centaurus will look, but they are 4A. Um, so, you know, I currently have Mountain View's window of wins at zero to one. But I'm leaning towards them potentially going one and eight with the schedule that they currently have this year. Uh, sounds a little harsh, sounds a little unfortunate, but unfortunately, with everything that I've seen, they're losing a lot of talent, and they also had a really tough time this past season. So, uh, just not super inspired in these mountain lions, but uh, prove me wrong. Another team who somewhat struggled in this league last year was Niwot. They will be in the 3A North Central 3 league this year, which I think will be an uh, interesting fit for them and potentially provide some better matchups. But, you know, they posted one of their better seasons, honestly, at 4-6 and six last year. But uh, tough league play um, still forces team to watch the postseason from the stands. Um, for two wins, Niwot did face two struggling teams from Thornton, but showed the ability to close some close games uh, in some back-and-forth matchups. But in games that they lost, however, they lost big and will have to make some serious adjustments to fix that. So, you know, they started off 1-2 last year. Um, in one game against Severance, they lost 27-2, which is one of the oddest football scores. That might even be Scorigami um, in Colorado High School football, potentially. But then they also lost to an Eagle Valley squad with that hybrid front before, like I said, capping those wins against Riverdale Ridge and Skyview, then losing big to Fort Morgan and Thompson Valley before a Mountain View win, and then losses to Roosevelt and Northridge to close the season. And so, you know, unfortunately for Niwot, some really good talent at skill positions does depart. Uh, Thomas Carnegie was 
was graduated, will be graduated, will not be playing this fall season uh, following 829 yards. They're losing a 409 receiving yard season from Craig Wright. And they're losing 10 touchdowns between those two who at the time had to take over and help the Cougars win some games. And, uh, you know, the running back and wide receiver position will be points of focus for this squad before the season begins. Uh, Craig Wright additionally led the secondary with three interceptions. So you're losing your best defensive back as well. And then Thomas Carnegie was also third on the team in tackles. But the guys ahead of him included All-State second team Bryce Nemec, who was, you know, posted 59 tackles and nine for loss, as well as Easton Leatherwood, who also graduated. And those are three of the seven leading tacklers who crossed the stage this past spring. Uh, Brad Bear was also a big dude on the line, and he's somebody who also walked the stage. But, you know, I think that they have a solution on offense potentially not to solve all of the missing pieces that you know did depart this past year but ben Klassen averaged nearly 10 yards per game last year running the ball and sniffed double digit scores if he plays all nine games this season he could be a thousand yard rusher and i think in that 10 to 12 touchdown kind of range as long as he doesn't get worn down from leading the team in tackles as well uh, you know, he was a very solid tackler this past season. I think that he's going to be their stud on both sides of the ball. And in all honesty, he's the best thing that Niwa has going for them. But unfortunately, he's not particularly effective throwing the football. Last season, he did throw more interceptions than touchdowns at a ratio of three to four. So he's going to have to cut back on those. I don't know if sophomore quarterback uh chad wolf is necessarily the answer since he didn't throw a touchdown and did throw three interceptions but it all depends on just the opportunities that are opened up for ben Klassen as a part of that so they have some things to figure out but they do have ways to move the ball on offense and that should lead to a couple of wins this year now looking at their schedule they do open up against greeley central for the second year in a row and, you know, I think that losing the players that they lost last year results in them losing some of these close games. I mean, you look at the score from last year against this Greeley Central squad. This is a Greeley Central squad that was leading, I want to say, the majority of the game. And they beat them 21-14 to 14 off some mistakes. I think that Greeley Central maybe bounces back with Genoa at quarterback and, you know, avenges that loss from last year. And right after that, they have to face Thornton who is a team with a coach that I respect a ton. So they might start off in an 0-2 hole before getting the benefit of playing a Skyview, a team that I think that they could beat. However, the rest of the schedule does prove to be somewhat challenging. They have Battle Mountain after that, Thompson Valley. Then to start league play, they go Frederick, George Washington, Meade. So the tough end of their league is right up front before closing out the season on the road against Riverdale Ridge and Denver North. I see that their wins being against Skyview, Riverdale Ridge, and Denver North potentially. And so I think that that puts their window of wins at one to three. And they just don't win some of the close ones that they had last year. Like I said, Greeley Central game probably doesn't fall their way. If they were to schedule or end up against a team like Mountain View, they probably don't win that. That's why I have them losing to Thompson Valley. Uh, I just don't think that... You know, they have the experience to close out some of those closer games like they did last year. And so, you know, I could see 
out of these three, six, 10 games, a three and seven record, which isn't too far off from where they were last year. But I think more than likely two and eight is going to be the final record for the Niwot Cougars, just with the massive loss of talent this past year. Now up here next is one of the most interesting teams in all of 3A football, and I think one of the biggest contenders in 3A football, and that is the North Ridge Greeleys. This was a playoff team last year, one that did go 7-4 overall, losing their only playoff game, so going 7-3 prior to playoffs. And, you know, following two glaring losses to 3A heavyweights, I'd say that Northridge collected themselves uh, to very close games with a combined margin of minus four against the two teams that made state. And so what I mean by that, they had a cupcake walk to start against Riverdale, Greeley Central, Greeley West. They went 3-0 in those games before losing to Meade big time, 42-0. And following this game, I was like... I don't know about this team because that is just a big loss to a very strong team. They bounce back with two wins over Loveland teams in Thompson Valley and Mountain View before losing big again to Roosevelt, 62 to 19. Uh, but they bounce back and then they alternate wins and losses for the rest of the season. They beat Skyview as they should. Then they lose a really close game, 23 to 20 to Fort Morgan, who, like I said, eventually would hoist the trophy. And then... They beat Niwot 55-7 before losing to Meade in the playoffs by a single point who is also in the state championship. So those two games show massive improvements to me. And with all the talent that they have returning, this is a team that will be one to watch out for. You know, I'd say that the biggest story here as far as graduating seniors is Carbon Brink, who notched an interception, two fumble recoveries, 29 tackles, and some carries. And then you're also losing Dalton Campbell, who was a six-foot tackle. But, I mean, only graduating two, and you're about to hear, the talent that they're bringing back is really serious. They're bringing back their quarterback, who, you know, threw over twice as many scores as interceptions. He was a little inconsistent and erratic at times, but I think that he's ironed out his game to a point where I can respect this team as a league and state contender. They are returning lead running backs. Yes, that is plural. In Isaac Ness and Damon West, those two combined for 19 touchdowns and over 1,700 yards last year. They could potentially both be 1,000-yard running backs in a very balanced attack led by Cooper Rose under center to, you know, win some big football games and really get themselves out there. Um, I also want to mention that they're returning nearly their whole offense because their top three receivers in Reed Peterson and Marquez are all returning as well as All-State Honorable Mention on the line, Cody Burkholder, and three of his other linemen in Dylan Suji, Chris Thrill, and Parker Steckel. These were all guys, you know, watching through the film that do the right things. They're very good in their footwork. They can zone block really well. They can pull very solidly. I think that Cody being the one who is returning as an All-State Honorable Mention at the center position is very good leadership-wise for this offensive line. I could tell in the film that he was IDing, you know, linebackers and blitzers and making sure that his line was able to pick it up. So you have a huge leader here at the center position returning. And this is something that goes overlooked very often. You know, the center in, in football is often called the quarterback of the offensive line. And I think that they have a good one here in Cody Burkholder, who, you know, 
is getting four of his linemen back. And the only one who's missing is Dalton Campbell. Granted, he was a left tackle. So that is something to, you know, definitely keep an eye on, but something that I'm not necessarily worried about. I think that they can replace Dalton and uh, Cody will help whoever is there at tackle get up to speed. But that will be the glaring need slash emphasis for teams that are game planning against them. Hey, who do they have protecting the blind side and how can we exploit that, right? Additionally, you know, Parker Steckel, while being a solid offensive tackle, he was a force on the defensive side of the ball with 119 tackles and 61 of those were solo tackles. Um, he is a game wrecker and a solid linebacker who I think is somebody that we're going to end up keeping an eye on for our 3A Defensive Playmaker of the Year Award. He's somebody who could be a top five senior linebacker and, you know, just brings a lot of stability and aggressiveness and tenacity to this Northridge team that is going to need that to compete against these other Northern Colorado teams, right? Additionally, you have Jaden Marquez, who is tied for Damon West for the team lead in interceptions with two. So you have Jaden and Damon both anchoring this secondary. And then, you know, fumbles were a plenty for this opportunistic Northridge defense who recovered 12 fumbles last year. So, you know, they were able to force a handful of turnovers. They have a returning quarterback who can deliver the ball. They have a pair of running backs returning. This is an excellent formula. They have an offensive line that's coming back almost in full. This is a formula for a state championship. But where are they going to be against some of the other contenders? Like I said, which version of the Grizzlies are we going to see? Are we going to see the ones who got pieced up 42-0 and 62-19 by Meade and Roosevelt? Or are we going to see the 23-20 and 21-20 Grizzlies that almost beat the two teams that were in state? I'm leaning towards the fact that they will be closer to the team that almost beat the two state teams, right? And one that can maybe even beat them. They have a very easy game here to start the year against Gateway. I easily project this as a win, starting off 1-0, building up some confidence, before facing a very interesting 3A squad in Evergreen, led by quarterback Tommy Paholski. He does have walk-on opportunities on the D1 level. He has gotten some looks from D2 schools and is a very solid quarterback, one whose film I broke down and will be a test for this secondary and defense. He has a very quick release. They run a very spread out kind of air attack. So, you know, for Northridge, making sure that they have the secondary to follow that. And then also that their linebackers are ready to play in coverage against these evergreen receivers will be very interesting of a matchup and maybe a game that we should circle on our schedule. What do you listeners think? Go ahead and tell us in the comments of this episode. But following that, I think that they have a slew of games that are super winnable. I think that they should be Central, West, and, you know, be crowned the runners of Greeley. Then I think Eagle Valley and Mountain View are also winnable games. So worst case scenario, you're heading into the second game of league at five and one worst case scenario and i still think that they just have more pieces than evergreen so i think that they could be six and oh heading to roosevelt they do have the benefit of playing roosevelt at home last year they did have to go to johnstown so they will be playing at i want to say district six stadium or district nine stadium um and i don't i don't know if i project a win 
necessarily for Northridge. However, I don't see a score of 62 to 19. I see this game being a lot closer, a lot more competitive. I think that both these teams are returning a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball, and Roosevelt will find a way to field a good defense once again this year. And I think that Northridge has a lot of things to keep that Roosevelt offense off the field with a solid running attack. So it'll be a grind for sure in this game. And one that just based off of what I've seen and who's coming back, and I'll talk about Roosevelt right after this so you can get the full details, but I think that Roosevelt could win this game. Uh, I'm favoring them, but I wouldn't be surprised if Northridge pulls this one off at home. But I mean, like I said, worst case scenario, you're like five and two, but I'm going to say you're six and one at this point before probably beating Thompson Valley, beating Resurrection Christian, and probably beating Severance. If you lose one of these other league games, it's not the worst thing in the world. But I think that they will be tested most in October, just in general, with those games against Roosevelt and Res Christian, who did move up to 3A. They are losing a big-time playmaker from last year, so that's a game that I think they should win. And then Severance will be an interesting matchup of front sevens. But... You know, we'll see what the Grizz are made of uh, most in this game. And, you know, I think that Cooper Rose will need to step up if they are to beat a team like Roosevelt. If they are to beat, you know, convincingly teams like Severance and Res Christian. They will need more out of their quarterback than they got last year. I think 8-2 and two is my prediction. I can see losses to Roosevelt and then one of either Evergreen, Christian, or Severance. I don't know which one. Uh, but I think that one of those teams could probably win. Um, but uh, they, I think six and four would be disappointing because that means that you lost all of the games that I said are ones that you are circling on your calendar. And anything below seven and three, I think is probably unacceptable. Uh, that's why eight and two is my prediction. But obviously that window of wins is between seven and eight. And, uh, you know, nine and one is also very possible. So seven to nine window of wins for this Northridge team returning a lot of talent and, you know, prove to me in this Roosevelt game that you guys are state contenders. That is my challenge to the Northridge uh, Grizzlies here. And uh, one that I'm looking forward to hopefully covering. One of us will be there. We gotta be. We gotta be. And on this jam-packed 3A episode... We are once again returning to the land of competitors. You know, it's been about 50-50 on this episode. But jumping back to my 3A pick from last year, the Roosevelt Rough Riders. They put forth a mighty effort, including an undefeated regular season, the number one seed in 3A. It Their regular season only saw one team or one game that was within a single score. And that was all before being thwarted by a Mead team hell-bent on revenge following a thumping Roosevelt gave them during the regular season. They showed dominance on all sides of the ball, and Brock Saya delivered as a one-year starter to propel Roosevelt on the doorstep of state. This program will be a contender again, but with even more pieces to replace than years prior. So looking back at this season, 49-7 opener against Holy Family. 49-0 against Pueblo County, 63-0 against Harrison, 41-0 against Riverdale Ridge, 42-0 Glenwood Springs. Those were all their non-league games, and one, two of those teams were playoff teams, and Glenwood Springs was knocking on the door with some athletic talent. 
and only allowing a single score through those five games. This led to, you know, 5-0 Roosevelt against 4-0 Meade. That was a game that, once again, Coach V went to, and it would start it off very close, but then Brock Saya and company blew this game open, winning 37-7, and they took that momentum and ran with it into league with a 62-19 win over Northridge in Greeley, and then came the game that I went to against Fort Morgan. This was a very back-and-forth game, very tightly contested, lots of punts, lots of big hits, great defense, clutch plays, iconic game, arguably the game of the year, uh, at least out of all the games that I saw that weren't the 4A state game. This was one of the best games all year. It doesn't look like much in a 14-7 box score, but that is very deceiving with the amount of talent that was on the field at that time. It historically has to be one of the greatest matchups of this you know, Roosevelt and Fort Morgan rivalry. And, you know, one that I think Roosevelt can pride themselves on. I mean, beating Fort Morgan is similar to winning a championship of sorts. I think they'd rather beat Fort Morgan than be league champions almost any year, right? So they accomplished that. But they were also league champions as they destroyed Niwot 53-6 and Mountain View 45-0 to be undefeated and league and cap off a 9-0 regular season. And then they went into, or I should say 10-0 regular season before they head into playoffs where they took care of business against Thomas Jefferson, 56-15. Then they beat Holy Family, 51-33. And then came the upset against Meade. Now, a lot of things kind of happened in this game. This was a game that obviously Meade had to win in order to make state. I thought that Roosevelt and Fort Morgan were on a crash course to revisit each other, but Gavin Garretson played out of his rocker in this game, going for 100 yards. Corby Teku also played out of his game as this Mead team ran for 360 yards just about and barely passed the ball, whereas uh, Roosevelt had to pass the ball a little bit more. Brock Saya going 16 of 29, two TDs to one pick. Not his worst game, but definitely not his best game. I think that... Additionally, Meade just did a great job defensively at tackling Roosevelt when they could and not allowing, you know, big plays. I mean, Ryan uh, Duchet still had a run of 44 yards or uh, Doucette. I guess I should have clarified that before. But, uh, you know, other than that, they held this Roosevelt team to a pretty low yards per carry here. They tackled the receivers when they caught the ball and just were very, very tough this game on the heels of uh, Joe Stritsky's 10 tackles and lots of tackles for losses. They were just in the backfield a lot. And Roosevelt, they just couldn't quite shake it and fell just short for the second year in a row in their quest for a state championship. And now they are graduating a lot of talent here. I mean, <clears throat> as mentioned, Brock Saya was a phenom for a one-year starter, throwing 32 touchdowns to only three interceptions while being able to pick up yards with his legs sometimes. Um, he graduated, and for the third season in a row, there will be someone new under center at Roosevelt. More on that in a second. But in addition to that, I broke down the film of Keaton Kaiser. He is graduating after picking up 700 yards and being a very versatile playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. But I think the really big elephant in the room is losing Cooper Walton, who was graded as a top five senior linebacker from us last season. And he'll be playing at Montana. And that's going to be a very emotional loss 
or somebody who is a great leader, somebody who will be missed in the locker room, and somebody who could also pick up some tough yards on the ground when asked. Um, not only are they losing their leading tackler, but they're missing his two running buddies in Clayton Robinson and Jaden Casanueva, who collected 70-plus tackles apiece, and the three of them combined for 55 tackles for loss, 12 sacks, and 18 hurries. And these are only the top three of seven players who are in the top 11 of tackles who are graduating. And the next four will be losing an additional 20 plus tackles for loss between the next four players. You're also losing the leading pass defender in Jaden Botterell, who had five interceptions for 162 return yards. And that's five of the 11 interceptions that were seniors. So only seven interceptions will be returning to the field for Roosevelt this next year. And then in the trenches, this is a position that gets overlooked a lot, but first team All-State lineman Alex Ariola was integral to plowing open lanes and keeping Brock Sayas pocket clean. He also graduates. That was a mouthful and a lot of oxygen talking about a lot of phenomenal players. I mean, I can't talk enough about the high level of play that Clayton Robinson, Jaden Casanueva, and Cooper Walton were all responsible for in that linebacker slash edge core and, you know, they all are guys who probably should have opportunities to play Division I football. Keaton Kaiser is playing at Chadron State on the D2 level. I'm not positive about Brock Saya, but he's a D2 talent at the bare minimum. Obviously, losing a first-team All-State lineman sucks pretty bad. And, I mean, this defense was just so disruptive and dominant, right? So how are you going to replace all of these snaps for Roosevelt. I know some of the coaches there and I know that they get the young talent ready very well, but you know, it still will be seen how they're going to be able to hold teams to the very low score. I mean, they only allowed 132 points through 13 games last year. 10 points a game. Are you kidding me? That's historic for sure and will be missed. And that includes two outliers, honestly, in the playoffs of 33 points and 38 points. Other than that, no other team broke 20 points on the regular season against the Rough Riders. So, you know, this defense was historic. They were dominant. How are they going to make up for this? Well, I think that it's going to be the offense who will have to pick up a lot of the slack. And that starts with under center, I'm projecting Bronco Hartson to be the starter. You know, in very limited action last year, he went 12 of 16 for 220 yards and four TDs to no interceptions. This is obviously in late games, arguably garbage time. But, you know, I gambled on Brock Saya last year to deliver, and I have a hunch that Brig Hartson's younger brother could deliver and or exceed expectations in his first year at starter for Roosevelt. In this system, they're not asking for a ton of complex reads or very you know, complex decisions. They have great athletes who can make incredible plays on the ball. So if you're a smart enough quarterback who's athletic like Bronco is, this is a system that is going to help you excel and win a lot of football games. And if you're Roosevelt, you've done a great job at preparing your younger quarterbacks for being the next guy in line every year. Bronco obviously is, you know, the younger brother of a successful quarterback here at Roosevelt in Brig Hartson. So he's got a lot of things going for him. And that's only in the position that he's in. That doesn't even include the 3A 2021 most valuable playmaker, Tucker Peterson, who caught 17 scores last year, 
nearly impossible to cover one-on-one, -on -one. solid route runner, excellent, absurd, absurd body control, I should say. And, you know, he'll be a point of focus for any defensive coordinator and will open up opportunities for other receivers to stake, take a step up. I know Keaton Kaiser graduated, but I think that whoever is receiver two or three will see a handful of targets because Tucker Peterson will have to be bracketed this year to even slow him down a little bit. And then he's also a focus for his own defensive coordinator as a defensive back who did collect a handful of interceptions last year. And obviously, you know, with the receiver DNA and ability to see the field, he is somebody who can house some potential turnovers, right? Additionally, in the backfield here, you have leading rusher Ryan Duchette, who returns following a 13 touchdown season that saw him average 10 yards per carry. Uh, his physical style of running matches the Roosevelt culture perfectly. And, you know, he's another guy who can contribute and will step up on the defensive side of the ball. You could see, you know, a Cooper Walton-esque situation with Ryan here, but uh, with him getting more touches on offense than, than Cooper, but still contributing very heavily to both sides of the ball and providing a spark to this team while also stepping up as a leader in the locker room. I think that last year's sophomore and second leading rusher Xavier Ramirez was not as efficient as Ryan, but 7.8 yards per carry and still breaking double-digit scores is going to be integral to having a well-balanced backfield. He may see an uptick in carries if Ryan plays more defensive snaps, but regardless, they still have two very dominant, physical, fast, all-around good running backs here in the backfield. On top of, you know, a quarterback that I believe in as a junior and will be there for two years, and the best wide receiver in 3A football. <clears throat> the best wide receiver in 3A football and a bona fide top five receiver in the state, regardless of class. I have no problem saying that for Tucker Peterson here and his all around game. I broke him down as a sophomore. Obviously he won my vote as the most valuable playmaker in 3A last year. And, you know, it's going to be hard to top the production that he has, but for this team to make a deep run, you know, you could put up better stats if you play one more game than you did last year right? Oh Lord, I have been talking on and on about this offense, but you also have both lines being anchored slash led by Allstate, Anthony Munoz. And yes, that's like the legendary Anthony Munoz, uh, who's been a stud playing since his sophomore year for this Roosevelt squad. He looks to be a senior. He's somebody who's going to be very hungry for a state championship following shortcomings the past two years, and is somebody who I think will help this Roosevelt squad be a serious contender this year. Now, looking ahead at their schedule, they do face playoff team Palisade to start the year. They have a good offense on the road in Kennedy before coming back and facing Fort Morgan out of league, but they will be facing them at home. I think that'll be a close-ish game, but uh, one that Roosevelt should win. Then they have a cakewalk, I think, against Highlands Ranch. Highlands Ranch, isn't this a 5A squad? Yeah, they face a 5A squad in Highlands Ranch, and I think that's a game that I have Roosevelt favored to win. Holy Family, and then to start league play, they have Res Christian, Northridge on the road, Severance, Thompson Valley, and Mountain. This team, you know, <clears throat> this could be another 10-0 start. This is a team I heralded last year for its returning talent on defense. This year, I will advocate for them for their talent returning on offense. I think that this could be another 10-0 year for the Roof Riders. But I wouldn't write off them 
I wouldn't write them off for losing one of these league games and heading to the postseason at a great seed of 9-1. and one. I think that you look at this schedule, they do have challenges this year. They do have Fort Morgan. I think that despite the talent they've lost, that'll still be a classic rivalry game with Fort Morgan pulling out a lot of tricks out of the bag. You have Holy Family that's returning a handful of talent and, you know, progressively close the gap on the score margin against them this year. Resurrection Christian has joined their league and is a squad with a lot of athletes. I talked about Northridge right before this segment, and this game could literally go either way. This is a potential game of the year candidate here. Then Severance is a tough 2A squad that is jumping up to 3A, so I think that they should win this one, but I think it'll be a little bit closer than some people think before getting two probably pretty easy Loveland games here to close out the season. Hopefully get healthy for the postseason, nice and well-rested, play some of your young guys, and then make sure your older guys are ready to go and understand the difference between this season and last season and the things that you have to do in order to close that gap and finally capture that 3A state championship. So I have the window of wins at 9 to 10 here, and I am very, very high on two teams in this, you know, what is it, 3A League 7? Yeah, this 3A League 7 to be state contenders. Very similarly to how both Fort Morgan and Roosevelt were, you know, in that contending conversation last year in the same league, I think that we see something very similar between them and Northridge and could be excited at potentially seeing them in the regular season and hopefully in the postseason this year. Now that your host is all out of breath and out of things to talk to, that will wrap up this episode where I talked about playoff team from last year, Frederick Warriors, uh, playoff team, Holy Family Tigers, playoff team, Mead Mavericks, um, then some struggling programs here in Skyview and Thompson Valley, where after that, then defending state champs, Fort Morgan, then kind of segued with Mountain View and Niwot before closing with two big heavyweights this upcoming year with a lot of returning talent in the Northridge Grizzlies and the Roosevelt Rough Riders. If you haven't already, please make sure to listen to Coach V's recaps as well as Mason Austin's recaps of Southern and Denver Metro area teams. We are doing a great job of trying to do 10 teams a week. Last week, I only did eight, but go ahead and listen to that one as that has some very intriguing 1A and 2A teams. I also did a 1A, 2A episode to start my series. And stay tuned because every week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we plan on having an additional 10 teams previewed for you with graduating seniors, returning playmakers, windows of wins, as well as last year's recap. I'm having so much fun doing the series. I'm doing a lot of research, watching a lot of film, and only in July it has me very amped for the football season that's so close yet so far away. You can find all of our content and posting for new episodes on social media. We post episode covers on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We also are posting, you know, these season previews on TikTok. You can find us uh, any of those at Playmakers Corner or in Twitter's case at Playmaker Corner. We are also posting these as reels on YouTube. So go ahead and find us on YouTube and subscribe Playmakers Corner where we will be posting all of this as well as some Twitch streams. Uh, go ahead and find us on Twitch and you know follow and even gift us some subs if you can we're on twitch at playmakers corner and you can listen to any of these episodes or are listening to this episode on spotify apple podcast google podcast anchor i already said apple podcast i'm running out of things to say here but you know you can find any of this in our link tree as well as you know a bunch of other helpful resources that we use 
through you know max preps huddle and uh just other lists that help us keep track of all of our players please follow us please keep listening and please stay tuned for what should be one of the most exciting seasons of colorado football yet this fall i have been your host for this episode cody stoffer and peace